Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. Hey, how are you doing? Before we get started today, I do have a favor to ask of all of you. I did start a channel over on YouTube in the last year, year and a half or so. And yeah, I'm really trying to promote that. And the reason being is I think the content that I'm putting out here, you know, we're doing all right with some of these guests that are coming on. And I think it deserves to be put in front of more people. And one of the best ways, of course, of doing that is through a platform like YouTube. Now, if you do interact with these videos on YouTube, that algorithm loves it. And that's the only way that it knows to continually share that content, put it in front of more people. So yeah, I could be a little bit biased here, but I think, you know, finding out about some of these careers is great for young people. It's great for mid-career professionals. If you have a second, head on over to YouTube, lifeasa...dot...dot. That's where you can find it. And yeah, like or subscribe. It would help a ton. All right, well, on with the show. I want to start with a bit of a thought exercise today. You know, think of some of the classic movies, maybe some of your favorites, Star Wars, Jurassic Park, E.T., Home Alone, Forrest Gump. Now, imagine some of those pivotal moments within those films and take away the music. You know, that, that, that background music that's playing there in these critical moments within the film itself. Take away that music. How would that feel? How would it change things? Well, I got this sneaky suspicion that, yeah, it would change things dramatically. Well, my friends, that is the magic and artistry of a screen composer. And that's what we're going to dive in today, that profession. We're in for a treat because the guest is renowned for her work in screen composing. And in the conversation, we get into, you know, the intricacies of that job, you know, what it takes, how you get into it, some of the rewards, some of the challenges, amongst other things. Also, too, I mean, we dive into the weeds, you know, some of the interactions between a screen composer and a director, you know, how some of the actual composing takes place, the technology that's used. Furthermore, we also get into, you know, the guest's unique background, which she shares a little bit about how that's helped her in her career. And towards the end of the show, we even get into topics such as technology and AI, how that may be shifting things around. So yeah, I think this conversation is going to be a great one for you to listen to. And uh, yeah, I hope you like it. Janelle Bechtold is a Canadian screen music award-winning composer for film, TV, games, and interactive media known for weaving playful and dark moods with intelligence and emotional maturity. Now, her jam involves working on scores where music is integral to the storytelling experience, whether it embodies an invisible character, supports a heartfelt dramatic moment, or creates a horror jump scare or something quirky and fun. Janelle's professional achievements and awards are wide and varied. And here's but a sampling. Co-composing on the Emmy Award-winning Apple TV Plus show Ghost Rider. Canadian Screen Music Awards 2022 Best Original Score for Interactive Media, No Reason to Apologize, The Resilient Legacy of Viola Desmond. 
also Hollywood Music and Media Awards 2022 Music for New Media nominee. Again, for no reason to apologize, the resilient legacy of Viola Desmond. And those are the most recent, but let me assure you, Janelle and her work have been part of plenty more as far as awards and accolades go. Further, that truism of you are who your friends are might be an apt metaphor to really demonstrate the quality of her work. Janelle's contributions to productions involving the likes of Apple TV+, Sesame Workshop, Discovery+, National Geographic, and the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, CBC, should give an idea of the crowd's earner music hangs within. And to add, many of these productions have appeared all over the world, ranging from the Cannes Film Festival, United Nations Film Festival, Canadian Film Festival, and the LA Short Film Festival. All of this has amounted to her being labeled as a Canadian composer to watch. And as if all of that wasn't enough, she is an industry leader, having founded Toronto Women's Composers, is former second vice president and chair of the Women Composer Advisory Council to the Screen Composers Guild of Canada, served on the board of directors of the SOCAN Foundation, and spearheaded the 2018 research report, Gender in the Canadian Screen Composing Industry. So with all of that stated, here's my conversation with Janelle Bechtold. Yeah, hey, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, really excited for this. I mean, uh, you know, I was saying in the pre-recording that as I researched for this episode, I found myself just getting more and more immersed into the world of what you do and and and, and all that it represents. And I just had all these questions that were just flowing. So yeah, I'm truly, truly excited to chat with you. So again, thanks for taking some time. Um, I do have this first segment lined up for us already, something called Coloring Wikipedia. And as my listeners would know, it's basically a segment where I just read off a definition of what the guest does, sometimes their industry. And I do it for a couple of reasons. One, I think it you know sets the stage for the conversation and it lets people know, broadly speaking, you know what the profession's all about. And the other thing, too, I find is that sometimes these definitions of what's provided about the profession itself aren't exactly hitting all the time. Sometimes they're overemphasizing certain elements, sometimes they're de-emphasizing. So I kind of like to approach it that way, just to, to hear it from somebody who's immersed in that world, obviously. So I do have you down here for Composer for Screen. Unfortunately, though, Wikipedia is letting us down. There actually is no entry for that profession. So I had to do a little bit internet internet sleuthing here. And I did find something from a UK-based website DB's Institute of Sound and Technology. Okay, so I'm just going to read that off for you. And then uh, after maybe you can comment. Does it sound okay? Sounds great. All right, here we go. Composer for screen. Composers for screen use music to enhance the mood and emotion for a range of visual mediums, including television, film, video games, advertising, and apps. They utilize their compositional experience alongside their recording and production expertise to produce music that not only edifies what is happening on screen, but also adds a new layer to the experience. All right. First take, what do you think of that, Jenna? So that's actually a really good sort of overview. Um, I think I think they hit a lot of things, especially both the creative side and the technical side of what a composer does. Because a composer for screen, you need to be able to write music. You also have to be able to write music that helps to tell a story and helps to bring the director's vision to life. 
that's the biggest thing, um, whether it's the director or game developer or whoever you're working with, it's their story. It's their, it's their project. And so nobody wants a composer who self-expresses all over somebody, you know, their project right. kind of thing. Right, right, right. But, you know, composer, essentially we have to wear many hats. So we're, we're writing music, we're producing the music. Sometimes we're, we're also the music editor. Sometimes we're also the musicians. Sometimes we're also, you know, the accountant on our, you know, for our small business. We're the, you know, the janitor. We're the, you know, things like that. We, we do, <laughs> yeah. th- there's a lot of things that we do that's not writing music. And I'm sure throughout the conversation, you know, you'll get to hear more about, about some right. of those things. Right, right. Getting back to that point about, you know, trying to to match or or I guess produce something that's going to, you know, align with the director's say vision. I'm guessing that could be a challenge at times, or maybe it depends on the person, the project and whatnot. Like they're communicating something, but it's still like this gray area, at least again from a layman's perspective here. I'm I'm guessing like there must be a certain shade of gray in that where you're like they're they're communicating it, but are you interpreting it the way that they think they're communicating it across? What, what is that like? Yeah, communication skills are so important in this industry because, again, you're, you're working with people that aren't musicians. And so they don't have the technical terms to use. They don't understand necessarily how to talk about music. And that's, that's a really interesting thing because sometimes they know just enough to totally be like, you know, they might know the words, but they just don't yeah. know how to use them. Like I've yeah. had somebody be like, oh, yeah, you got to turn down that clarinet. Uh, there's no clarinet. So let's figure <laughs> yeah. this out. But the process usually starts with a really important meeting called a spotting session where you actually walk through the project and, you know, step by step where the music's going to go, where it stops, where is it, where it starts and what is it going to say? And, and, and there's lots of conversations about tone, about uh, pacing. You know, is the music going to help push the scenes forward? Are we going to add tension? What, what's the role of music? And I usually prefer if directors or producers or whoever I'm working with, if you think about emotional language, sort of like how you would, how you would coach an actor, in terms of, of what is it that they're bringing. And of course, my background being music therapy is a little bit different because a lot of my training, both music and, and compositional, has been about how does music convey emotion. And so I look at all sorts of things in terms of, you know, how, how is a, as an audience going to experience the story and how can I support them through that? Or what is the character going through at this moment? And, and how, can I, how can I heighten that? I did a project recently where the interesting thing was is that we had music. And then all of a sudden, it's like we wanted, we wanted the character to be really, really lonely and sort of pull away all that emotional support. And that was such a powerful thing. So sometimes yeah. knowing when not to use music is also very important. So that's all part of the spotting session discussion with a with a director. I, I think like from a layman's perspective, like you, you just assume that, okay, you're putting music together, like the director wants something that's uplifting, okay, and you produce something that's uplifting. And like, obviously, it's much, much more complex. And what you're just explaining there kind of illustrates that point. It's a lot of this communication back and forth. It's knowing 
what type of music to, to put together. It's just finding that, you know, that vision of what the director wants and then filling those gaps, I suppose. But then also it's just like a lot of feeling involved there and then in integrating your unique background to, you know, music therapy, that layer as well into it. I, it's just, yeah, I'm sure we're going to get into all of this uh, later on in the conversation. But yeah, I just want to throw that in there again. I mean, it's just absolutely compelling to me. But uh, getting back to the uh, definition, before we move on, was there anything that you would, I don't know, like to add to it or perhaps de-emphasize? I would say that composers are also problem solvers. Mm, so, like I mean, a lot of times it's about, it's about the creative work and things like that. But sometimes it's about, you know, the, uh, the project needs something that's not there. So whether or not, you know, they couldn't get the right tone on set and, you know, the actor missed their mark, or perhaps there was a problem with the edit. That's happened before where they planned out a certain, a certain shot and they couldn't get it. And so it's like, now we need something else. And so oftentimes because the composer is last in the process, they like, we can, we can help production solve some of those, those problems that they have. And, um, I, I definitely would 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 emphasize that a little bit more that you know because it's not just adding music it's it's we're we're integral like we're solving we're solving issues we're adding emotion where maybe it just wasn't there yeah there's there's a, a lot of that kind of thing that we we bring yeah maybe we could shift over into this next segment here something on day in the life and it kind of continues on what we've just been speaking about you already mentioned the spotting session like that would be an element to your workflow i suppose but you know generally speaking i'm sure this varies based on the project based on the genre based on the you know the creative direction that uh each project you know has or the director has but generally speaking what would be a workflow for you in the course of a day or a week yeah, well, I mean, it's difficult because, like you said, every project's different. And it also depends on, like, how many projects you're working on at the same time and sort of, like, multitasking and whether or not you have a team that, that you're working with, of course. So, like I said, almost every project starts with a spotting session. But it might, all, like, after that, I, I usually go to a period of research. So almost, it, it doesn't matter what type of project it is. Like I do a lot of documentaries and a lot of um, period pieces. And so I do a lot of listening and, and, and sort of researching the style, genres, um, different geographies, what kind of folk music is coming from, from different places. And that's one of the things that I really love about this job is that every project's different and needs a bit of a you know, different musical language every time. And so I love this part of the process. Yeah. And so sometimes, depending on how the spotting session went, like uh, sometimes a film, a filmmaker may already have what's called a temp score, which is where they've taken existing music and they've sort of laid it in. And that's can be really good because it's a great way for them to say, oh, well, this is kind of what I was thinking, you know, in terms of how the music flows. And you can have lots of conversations about, okay, what works about this? Do you like how fast it is? You know, how it swells here? You know, like what it does emotionally? But sometimes it's also a big problem because temp scores can often, you know, if you listen to something too many times, then you're like, oh, this is what my project needs. And sometimes it's like, 
uh, I remember having, uh, you know, discussions with directors about, okay, well, you put this song in here and, you know, it's a very specific song. Why did you choose this? Well, it's because of some experience I had in high school. You know, I remember this time and it's like, okay, well, this isn't a, this isn't something that is generic to the audience. Like yeah. the general audience isn't going to have had that yeah. unique experience. And so maybe we should try and find something else. And those, those conversations can be hard, but I, I do the same thing as well, where, you know, once, once I've done some research and things like that, sometimes I'll send, I'll send music to a director and be like, so what do you think of this, this idea, or like this tone, what do you think of these instruments, that kind of thing. And of course, you know, sometimes I, I don't do that. And I'll just go straight to like sketching themes and ideas. And again, sending them lots of back and forth. The technical tools are really good for helping to, to work with film. So I know I get this a lot. Oh, well, do you write on piano or, or like, how does the actual composition happen? And that, I, I mean, I, I tend to write everything in the computer. It's, it's, you know, it's not romantic. Everybody thinks, oh, well, you're going to be sitting there with a <laughs> pencil and, you know, <laughs> right, right, sometimes, right, right. sometimes I do that depending on the type of music, I'll go away and I'll sketch some ideas and I'll come back. But ultimately the great thing about computers is that you can load your, your project, your visuals, your film into the computer so that you can write at the same time as the film is playing. And that like, if you, if you need to have something happen at a very specific moment, yeah. you can, you can make sure that that falls right either on a beat or sort of, yeah. And you can set up your, like the, the speed of the music so that you get there yeah. at the right time. Yeah. It yeah, shouldn't surprise me, but all the same, it still kind of is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, before, you know, they, they were, you know, the, the music programs that we use today before those were really what they are composers used to have these books of tempos and essentially they would have to go and they would have to calculate with their calculators you know if they want to hit this this amount of time at the you know it's like they need especially if they're if the music's going to have a certain beat they'd have to calculate okay well you know it's going to take this this long to get there at this tempo so yeah it was pretty pretty incredible i i'm terrible at math i don't uh, i don't know that i could have done that <laughs> it sounds like a bit of a nightmare yeah yeah i hear you on that one yeah it strikes me as like layered like really really layered and again something you've already raised is this point of communication and you know getting back to the, the director's vision and you know them putting in these sort of like temp music and i was thinking there that like at times maybe as a director, maybe they're putting that in and they think, well, this is roughly where I'd like to go. But by doing so, they're almost setting it up for themselves. They're like, this is what I expect at times in a way. And it must be a bit of a challenge there, depending on the person, perhaps, like when you're producing something else and you're like, well, you know, that's what you put in there. But like, as you've already said, like that might not be, you know, general enough for an audience. You know, it's it's something that's relating to you and your experiences. And that that's what's interesting about music, right? I mean, we all sort of like have these really sort of personal experiences and we soundtracks of our own lives. And whether we're consciously aware of this at times, we sort of like set things up that way. So when you're trying to like set creative directions based off of your experiences or what you think the audience is going to be tuned in, but then 
you know, there's some creative differences based on, you know, the person who ultimately calls the shots. It must be a bit of a challenge at times. It must be difficult. I think that was a word that you used. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it definitely is a challenge, but I think that ultimately if, if everything is like, if everything you do is based on the story and the perspective of this story. So if you can justify, okay, I use this, this thing here because of this in the story, I think I think that is sort of, I think that helps to reduce a lot of, yeah, yeah. Because I know sometimes, um, especially early in their careers, composers can get really precious about about what it is they write. And I've I've also been in the same spot where you're like, oh, this is the most beautiful melody I've ever written. (laughs) And then the director's like, what is this? Um, yeah. That doesn't work all over my film. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> okay. And your job is to say, okay, great. What doesn't work about it? How can we fix this? How can we change this? Let's let's make it better. Let's make it so it serves that story. And that can be really hard to be like, okay, so the best melody I've ever written is now in the trash bin. Yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. you can always pull it out and use it on something else. But um, yeah, it's about knowing... Yeah. Now, of course, I've also worked with some directors who've who've made some suggestions and we try it and they're like, oh, actually, your way is better. So, you know, sometimes sometimes it helps to to, um, you know, acknowledge what it is that that their perspective is. But ultimately, you're also the professional and you've you've got the experience of doing this. So exactly. Exactly. And I guess return to that point of communication, right? How well you're able to kind of communicate these ideas and the reasons for the choices that are being made can sort of like serve the ultimate end goal there. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why don't we shuffle into this next segment, something called pathways. And uh, this one's here is set up to kind of illustrate that, you know, most times, at least from my experience of having know, guess on this program, that I think a lot of people might assume that individuals have this vision of where they want to go in their careers, and they just beeline straight towards it. In most cases, though, there's, you know, there's some jaunts off to the left to the right. And I'd be curious about your background a little bit. We've already touched upon it lightly, you know, music therapist, you're formally trained within that sphere. But even going back beyond that, I'm wondering, like, in, in your childhood, I'm, I'm guessing music was a part of it, you know, certainly. But I'm guessing like, or I'm wondering rather, like, had we, say, for example, had we met in our youth, would I be somebody thinking like, oh, Janelle is definitely headed for a career within music. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. She's going to somehow be in there. Or is it sort of something that just naturally evolved and maybe some guidance or formative experiences along the way? Maybe you could tell listeners a little bit about that. Yeah. So my... My childhood, music was very much a part of it. It was um, a very big part of it, in fact. I studied the organ in a group music class. Um, it was very contemporary. So we we used a lot of familiar music, you know, 50s and 60s music, swing, Latin, tangos, polkas, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was really great for me to be in a group lesson, too, because it was m- making music together. And we all had this like competitive streak to us. We all wanted to, you know, be, be really good. So, but I found that throughout, you know, even through my high school years, music was the thing that I always came back to. Like, you know, when I wasn't feeling good about, you know, 
being at school or something like that. I could always come home and play. And, and it was always very, for me, it was kind of healing. And so the hardest thing though is, and I, I feel like this is very common in a lot of creative industries is that where is the job? So you love this thing, but how do you make a career of it when there isn't a clearly defined career path? When I was interested in, in becoming a, a composer, there was no, you go to films, you know, like the school that specializes in film music or game music. You like that wasn't an option, especially in Canada at the time. And so you have to figure out, okay, well, what skills do I need? And where do I find those skills? And then who's going to hire me? Like, how do I connect with people that are hiring? Because very few job posts. And usually those that are posting are people who are also new to the industry and haven't made a network yet of people who are also going to hire them. So, uh, yeah, it, it can be tough to navigate. Mm, it sounds like so you had this vision correct me if I'm wrong here but you had this vision from a young age that you wanted to go into screen composing or was that an idea that sort of just came about in sort of researching like what could I do within music or so I didn't actually really think of of screen composing until a bit later so when I was in high school I I went on a family trip down to Universal Studios and we went to, to like we were on a soundstage and they were talking about music and, I, and my sister turned to me and she's like, oh, I could see you doing this. And I'm like, hmm, yeah, but I grew up in Saskatchewan, which is in the middle of Canada. There's it's there's not a lot of, of, of filmmaking that's that happens there um, because the population is small. It's it's mostly. Yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's not one of the major production centers, let's just say. And so for me, going from there, it's like, okay, well, how did these worlds, you know, collide? How does this work? And it wasn't, it wasn't until after I studied music therapy, and I was doing my internships and things. And I knew it was a very emotionally taxing profession. Like, it's really hard to, to be a therapist. And so I was thinking about, okay, so if I don't just do this, what else can I also be doing? Something that's also, you know, using my creative outlet. And I'd always been writing music and I loved that. But yeah, I managed to connect with another composer who had been a teacher at university. And it was really great because he got me connected with a longtime sort of mentor of mine. And so I was able to actually see what the industry was and be able to sort of, you know, sit in on meetings, get to hear, you know, how people talk about music and go to recording sessions and things like this and really get a feel for what the industry was. Mm. So that was, that was, yeah, a, a really good thing. But yeah, it was, it was well after university. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Like I'm just thinking here off the top of my head, I mean, music therapy and what you've already explained thus far in the conversation, it would seem that there would be crossover there. You, there'd be skills that you would have been able to take from that type of education into the work that you're doing right now. Is that fairly accurate or? Yeah, yeah. I, oh, I would say so. A lot of music therapy and a lot of what I feel like I personally gained from doing that kind of work was... Um, being able to understand 
a lot of nonverbal communication and being very much aware of sort of how people communicate without using words. And I feel like, like, so when I watch a scene, one of the things I look for is like, there's always that moment where a character makes a decision that's going to affect the rest of either the scene or the movie. And it's just like, it's like that crinkle of their eye or like where the corner of their mouth sort of moves up a little bit. And you're like, ah, that moment is it. And so like musically, well, that, this is where everything changes. Right. So I do feel like I bring a lot of that kind of thing to the, to the work that I score, but also to like, there was a lot of, there was a lot of other sorts of, um, I mean, obviously there's, there's other sorts of skills that we learned as music therapists. And I do think that there's also like part of the whole like research skills that I have and sort of maybe how I approach some of the communication might be a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of gives you a different vantage point on it all, which then ultimately sort of gives you a different sort of angle to approaching it and and making your work special, I'm guessing. Yeah. 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 I would think so. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we do have a few more questions here that uh, that I would personally like to cover here, and uh, so maybe we could just just dive into this Q and A discovery. We can basically continue this back and forth. And uh, getting back to, I guess, the flow of what you do, and you've already spoken about this lightly, but you know, I've read in researching for this that you know some screen composers will come in towards the end of the project, and I think that's what you've mentioned already. But on the other hand, I did read that some are there throughout a production. So they might be viewing and participating you know, within the project as it is being produced. And I'm sure there's certain advantages of doing so. And, you know, maybe doing it the other way is going to present its own unique advantages and disadvantages. And again, it's going to vary project to project, medium to medium. What are your experiences in, in both approaches? Yeah, well, obviously, a lot of a lot of times people bring on a composer right at the end of a project. Um, as, you know, it's done being shot, and they're editing it, and they're like, "Oh, we need music. Oh, oh, I guess we need somebody." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but that actually isn't such a bad thing because there's a lot of like the the film can change a lot from the script stage to what's actually been shot and what's actually been edited. Like there's three different films there potentially, right? Yeah, yeah. And so and so I like to really do the bulk of my work once the picture is is finished. Um, so they finish the edit, the timing isn't going to change. They might still have visual effects or sound effects and things like that to add um, maybe color, color correction. But the, the actual timeline isn't going to change. And that's like the perfect thing for a composer because music is time-based. So if you are still taking out a second here, a second there, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it can totally change everything for how music flows. That seems to be more and more of a luxury these days. Yeah, so there's, there's, uh, there's a couple other times in which it's very common to bring on a composer. So first of all, like right away in the funding stage, that's a big time to sometimes attach a composer. And the benefit of that is that, especially here in Canada, there are tax credits that are applicable to hiring Canadian talent. And so having a Canadian composer attached right away can guarantee that, you know, doesn't matter sort of 
yeah, it can it can definitely apply to you being able to certify your your production as being Canadian, which gets you a certain level of tax credits, yeah. or even just like like yeah, I, you know, and, and it's it's helpful for funders. The next time, of course, is is in pre production. If there's going to be music that needs to be played on screen, something that's already needs to be written, sometimes it's it helps to bring on your composer early. Sometimes this is the role of a music supervisor to facilitate, but on a lot of like more smaller independent productions, sometimes the composer might be writing something. And then also like onset coaching of, of actors. I've done that where you have somebody who doesn't actually know how to play an instrument and you're like, okay, we're going to teach you how to take it. <laughs> there you go. Back to the role of men, or having, wearing many hats, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But ultimately, the more time you have with the film, the more t- the more back and forth you can have. I know that's one great thing about games is that I'm often brought in quite early. Sometimes there's some concept art, but there usually isn't anything I can play. So so it's all about those creative discussions and 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 seeing sort of like the tone and texture and and knowing so um, more about the style of gameplay is really important. So yeah, but I do hear that there's a lot like a lot more at the high levels people are like whoa well I I understand that composers are you know they start right at the script and they start writing all the score you know when they have a script in their hands and it's like yeah but they usually have a budget that's like five or six times what I'm getting they can devote the time to writing things that probably won't end up in the film I don't have that luxury when yeah yeah like yeah, and it depends too. Like that doesn't happen in television, you know, because there's an, there, the timeline's so fast. Like you have to be churning out an episode. Like there's an, a new episode every week if it's on traditional television. You know, like you don't have that. Luxury. It's a machine, right? Yeah, exactly. You've yeah. got to fit your work in there and fit it in within their timeline. So like, yeah, okay, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah, really, really interesting in that sense because, like, when I was asking that question, I could see it from both angles. Where, like, yeah, if you're involved right out of the gate, you can sort of see like the vision and where things are going. But the practicalities of what you were just explaining there, I mean, sometimes it just doesn't line up. Like, you need to come in at the end when things are settled and okay, this is it. This is the timing. Okay, now we're ready for the music. So yeah, it's really interesting to yeah. to, to hear both perspectives on that and times where you know both approaches might be used depending on the project okay you know i have this other question and it it hinges on this notion of inspiration you know like any artist you know it's a big part of what you do i'm sure You, you have to be brimming with inspiration yourself to be putting your best work out there and i'm guessing here that at times like when you're working across so many different genres whether it's in video games television film you're getting pulled in a lot of different directions or different demands that you're just speaking of. And that unto itself must be rewarding. That must allow you to kind of stretch your own creative boundaries, which unto itself can then, you know, lead to inspiration maybe. You know, if you're just doing the same thing over and over and over again, that could be a bit of a drain. But the line of work that you're doing or you have been doing, being involved in so many different types of projects might, you know, ostensibly, you know, be a source of inspiration for you and keep you going. But, you know, maybe you could speak to that. I'd love to, to, to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things that I love about this job is that every, every, every project's different and I'm always getting to try new things. And I think that that sense of, um, 
I mean, yeah, that 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 sense of finding that new sound or or um, just just a, a different approach to take maybe to storytelling. I think that that's really inspiring. I personally get a lot of a lot of inspiration from what it is I'm working on. So whether it's the story and the characters or like the texture of the film and how it's edited or you know the the style of animation in the game like is it going to be a line drawing is it going to be you know soft like watercolors is it you know like um yeah even is the film going to be in black and white is it going to be in sepia is it going to be really hyper realistic or lots of blue tones like those sorts of things is sort of where i i, I draw a lot of inspiration from but I think, I think most people in creative fields, this is, this is a hard thing because you can't wait for inspiration to strike. You have to get into the, you have to get into the practice of creating, regardless of whether there's inspiration or not. And, and that can be tough. That can definitely be tough. So it's like, I know are like a lot of writers um, talk about doing their morning pages. You know, I think that's something that was from the, uh, the writer's way. Wait, the artist's way. Yes, the artist's way. It's a book. And, you know, talking about how to get through writer's block. And so essentially it's like, you know, three pages of whatever comes to mind just to get right, you writing. Right. And, and I, I feel like sometimes, like I also sort of dabble in other sorts of arts as a place to, you know, work on those creative muscles, whether it's, whether it's drawing or painting, I've done stained glass, I've done silversmithing, you know, all sorts of different kinds of artists, uh, or arts, I guess. Um, and I feel like even sometimes like, you know, starting the day with a little creativity, something that just puts me in the mood to play a little bit, you know, like that's. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just had a, a guest on the program not too long ago. He's an industrial designer designing products, you know, from scratch and, and also too, I mean, you know, certainly within that line of work, creativity is, you know, it's, it's a major, major part of what he does. And, you know, we got in this discussion about how that type of work or any type of work involving artistry, like, the world that you live within the professional sphere is really truly blended with your personal like it has to be almost in a way right you have to be deriving sources of inspiration from you know your daily life like what you were just speaking of some of your other hobbies that are off to the side you know whether you're consciously aware of these things or not like they feed into that creative sort of outlet whereas like another type of profession say you're a business development manager for a big company i mean you can sort of detach say on the weekends all right you know i've done my monday to friday nine to five nine to six whatever it is all right i can just go off and pursue whatever i want to do on the weekends whereas like within artistry i think like these worlds as i just said like the word that keeps coming to mind is like a blend you know it really is a blend it almost has to be in a way to to like you said sort of exercise these creative muscles and you know creative sort of like inputs that you can then transfer into your professional sphere and am i under anything on that does that sort of ring true for you would you say or yeah absolutely i think it also helps to to have a lot of things in your toolbox from which to draw from especially when you are sort of like oh what do i write next you know if you can go to your your little you know, toolbox of ideas and pull something out and be like, okay, let's, let's try this or use this or, 
you know, like I think, I think, I think that helps. And I think you only get to have a full toolbox from regular creating. Yeah. Experience and just finding out what works for you, I suppose. Right. And I I guess that's my last point on this too. I find really interesting is that like, you know, a lot of people would probably assume that being an artist or being involved in artistry, you don't have structure, right? There isn't structure. But from my experience in speaking with people like yourself, very much so there is structure. It's just like, you know, like you just said, like a toolbox of, of things that you can do to help, you know, break these cycles that aren't exactly helping you out or getting you in the right state of mind to produce. So there is structure involved there to allow you to to flourish, essentially. Is, is, is that right? Would that be accurate? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. I've got this other question here too. We are moving on a fairly nice clip here. And then this was one that sort of got me when I was immersing myself or trying to immerse myself into your world that this relates to the reward of what you're doing, I guess. And uh, again, you know, we've spoken to this point a couple times over, but like artistry as a whole, you're creating something from nothing. So there's got to be some reward when you do put something together that at least you're proud of. And hopefully it produces that type of reaction, you know, from others who are equally pleased with it. But when that happens, it must be a rewarding experience. So I thought about that. But then as I dug deeper into this thought, it's kind of struck me that like, say with your work, screen composing, there is this whole other team that's producing this other piece of art, whether it's a video game, whether it's, you know, a scene within a film, television, and that unto itself is creating emotion. It's emoting, right? And and creating some sort of feeling in others. And then you're interlacing your artistry with that of somebody else's or a team's. And that unto itself now, of course, if done well, is going to create this whole other reaction in people. And again, I mean, it's all obvious, I guess, if you're, you're thinking about this right now and I'm speaking it out. But at the same time, I think like when you're in the moment and maybe early on in your career, like when these things happen and they all come together and you're part of it and you produce this, it must be just out of this world, that experience. And I'd love to hear what you've got to say about that. Oh, it's definitely the best feeling. Yeah, um, it's got I be. often, I often really get this, this, this sort of like excited moment a couple of times in, uh, during the production cycle. Once is, you know, like, especially if you have this moment where you're like, oh, I really got to find this perfect thing. And, it's, you know, you're trying and, you know, oh, that doesn't work. So you try something else. Oh, that doesn't work. But when you find that thing, it's like, yeah. ah, yeah. that yeah. the total awe moment. Um, and I have to admit, there's something really, really special when you get to work with like live musicians as well, like that. That moment right there is is pretty incredible as well, and just hearing your you know the notes you wrote for that first time, you're like oh chills. Right, right, <laughs> um, but right. I also really love um, being able to celebrate the work that I've done with other people. So often, you know, I'm working on something by myself in my studio space, and when I actually get to you know go to a film festival um, and like really really celebrate the work with an audience and hear people reacting. And like, that is so special and meaningful. And that was something that we just didn't, haven't gotten over, you know, that much over the last couple of years with the pandemic, but you know, it really is a group sport. Yeah. You must really notice that having that break in there induced by the pandemic and whatnot, and, and noticing what you'd kind of lost there and noticing that feeling that it produced for you 
getting back into these group viewing sessions when a project is done and then like like leaning over your shoulder and you know, all right here's a moment that i really put a lot into like okay what's the reaction gonna be and having a look <laughs> over there and like and seeing that and having it hit the way you'd imagine it must be it must be special yeah oh that definitely is special for sure yeah you know, philosophically speaking, I mean, the work itself must be meaningful to you on so many different levels that, uh, yeah, quite fulfilling career, I guess, once you fully immerse yourself into it all. Yes. Well, why don't we shift into this middle segment here, something a water cooler story segment. And uh, I'd love to hear what uh, what you have for us. It's basically a segment where I just ask, uh, you know, guests to indulge listeners with the story relating to the profession. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I just uh, recounted how meaningful it is to have, um, have music performed by live musicians. And the reason why I think I, I pull that out as being so meaningful, um, of an experience is because it takes, it takes resources and skills to obviously get to that point. Not every project has the money (laughs) to put into that level of production, unfortunately. And I mean, sometimes too, you're, you're dealing with time constraints or you just decide to do a specific, you know, something, something electronic because that suits the, the style of, of the project. So, but uh, yeah, I remember there's this, uh, so I'm part of the Screen Composers Guild of Canada, which is a, tr- a national trade organization that that rep- represents professional composers and producers of music for screen and one of their mandates is professional development and i i was lucky enough to be chosen to have one of my orchestral pieces performed and recorded by a live orchestra as part of an educational program yeah and this was was particularly special because i'd been working with a with a with a game developer who had some some musical background, I think had been a trumpet player. And so and so we had we'd been been working on a game. And I decided to realize one of the pieces of music for orchestra and invited him to come as well. And that like just hearing it it being played, um, not only did I get chills, but I think it was super, super meaningful for them as well. Because all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, we've been, you know, doing things in the box, but all of a sudden to have it like that, it's like, wow, this is real music and it's really good music. And yeah. like, it just totally changed the, the whole dynamic, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But again, like being, I was in the sound booth at the time and like, just, just hearing, hearing the the music come through the speakers for the first time. It's like, you're supposed to be taking notes, right? Because yeah. you're, you're, you're working, you want to get a really yeah. good recording and you're supposed to like, you know, uh, you know, you want, you, you're supposed to take, take notes with what's going well, what's not like, um, did you get this part? Did you not get this part? And it's like that first playthrough, you're like, uh, <laughs> the entire time you're like, Oh, this is so good. I can't, I can't focus on anything. <laughs> so then, then of course you have to play it, play it again. <laughs> yeah. 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 But um, it, like that, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, like, that's it, though. Like, that's that's what that's getting me through this whole conversation. Is like it's, it's evoking this emotion in people, right? And like, that's what music does in, in inherently, right? It's that. And when like when you're putting it together in such a way that it's it's you know done well, and certainly like based off of your background, you know, again, I read off the top, and 
all of your accomplishments, like a lot of what you've done is, is at a very high level. So certainly it, it's producing these moments for not only yourself, but for others as well. And it's just, yeah, it, it, I don't know, just the, the nature of music, as I just said, is one thing. But then when it's being performed at, at such a level, it, it's, it's bound to like create these emotions in people and to, to really set moods and, and everything else. So, yeah. Yeah, I think very, very much. And I think those first experiences, like, you know, that was, you know, one of my first experiences having something performed by an orchestra. And I know like later on, you know, I did a, I did a feature film where I I recorded with a string quartet for the first time. You know, it's like these, these little, you know, moments, like the first time I recorded with a guitarist or like, you know, like, you know, this kind of thing. It's like those moments really stay with you um, throughout your career. And I think, I think you get sustained by that feeling, or at least I know, I know I do. Yeah. Well, our last segment is, is here, is upon us. It is a, a crystal ball segment, as it even implies, we're looking towards the future trends, predictions, so on and so forth. And it feels like pretty much every conversation I've had in the last like three months has been like tracking back to this topic of AI. And for obvious reasons, I mean, it's disrupting a lot of industries. It's quite compelling to talk about. There's a lot of emotion involved in that, certainly. And I don't doubt that at some point, maybe even now, I don't know, AI is creeping into your industry and what you're doing. But uh, I'd love to hear it from you as far as like, in what ways maybe these mighty AI algorithms are still up against it when, uh, you know, competing against, you know, somebody like yourself or, you know, a, a human who's actually putting together music to match a moment to match a feeling to match some creative artistry or direction you know what, what would you say to this and in, in, in the rise of ai within your field well i mean i talked earlier about some of the technology that i use on a regular basis and how that's actually changed the industry for the better so i know initially you know like like anything that a new tool like when the internet first came out the music industry freaked out because it's like, how do I make money with the internet? And you've got Napster and all that kind of stuff. Well, obviously we're sort of figuring that out with technology to make screen scoring easier. Well, I, you know, in my, in my program that I use to write music, I can say, okay, I want to hit this point and this point and this point, give me what tempo I need. And it'll say, oh, well, you should have a tempo that goes like this. Right. So that's AI. The way I look at it, where I sort of see AI being problematic in the in the screen scoring industry is that it's really good at just making up stuff that sounds a lot like what's already there. Right. So there's a lot of music that is used in shows where it's generic. It's just it's there. It's wallpaper. I, I hate to say it, but we've there's there's composers who who write a lot of music for production libraries, for example, and then editors pull this music and place it into shows. And I mean, it's it requires a lot of work for a composer, but there are people who eventually, you know, can make a lot of money, but you have to write a lot, a lot, a lot of music to make this business model work. But the challenge for music editors is that it's like you still need to make it fit to the picture. And I think that's where AI might might be able to help that like solve that that uh, challenge. But 
I, I am worried that a lot of a lot of composers, like the entry point for composers is usually, you know, working on low budget things, working in, you know, oftentimes, especially if people like depending on their background, they might work on specific types of projects that I'm going to say are formulaic, you know, like uh, every Hallmark movie kind of sounds about the same. A lot of the <laughs> life, you know, yeah. Lifetime movies, for example, also kind of sort of sound the same. There's these sorts of things where I feel like that's going to be the first target. And unfortunately, if they stop hiring composers, you know, then where where is the sort of entrant entry place yeah, for composers? Yeah, where do they gain you know, that like, experience and the skills, yeah, right? Because AI isn't coming for the top. You know, they're not coming for John Williams. They're not coming, yeah. <laughs> you know, coming right, for, right, you know, right. so, you know, some, some of, the, of, of those people that bring really specialized skills that are really sought after. You know, they're not coming for the people who are creating that brand new sound because AI can't create something from nothing. You know, like they can't come up with something brand new at this point. Really, it can only it can only really recreate based on what it's given to learn from. Right. So it's going to take a while to get to that point. But I think, you know, if if those entry jobs aren't available, how do composers get to that place where they are able to be hired? And especially if then it's harder to get that initial experience. Like I know there's a lot of stuff that's being made. But there's not a lot of good paying jobs, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, So it's like you have to, like, to get started, you have to be taking a lot of work and really building up your reel and building up those experiences. So that's what I would expect. Okay. Yeah, it's an area I definitely wouldn't have considered. I mean, again, being a layperson, I just would have assumed that, you know, maybe we're not there yet in terms of AI coming in and just producing works for film and, and whatnot. But it's it's that point, that entry point. And if they steal away those lower end jobs, and yeah, where, where are we going to be? How are people going to train themselves up? How are they going to get to that point where they can become like a John Williams, where they've built up, you know, this amount of experience and learned by trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. They're not given those opportunities. Yeah. Like how how is that going to affect things five, 10 years down the road? Some of the the artistic creations we're putting out there are going to suffer is that kind of on the track that we're on and it's yeah i can see how that would be a bit of a concern so yeah yeah well time will tell i suppose and i guess that's kind of what's compelling about it all right now is like the rules of the game within ai within all these industries and professions it's just moving so quickly that uh, matters such as these aren't being at least my perspective aren't necessarily being addressed or taken care of in in such a manner that we're going to be able to I don't know, manage it all, you know, five, 10 years down the, down the line, as I just said. So yeah, utterly compelling, but uh, a little bit frightful too in the same, uh, same breath. So anyway, yeah, I must say though, like we've just flown through this conversation. I feel like we just got started here, but uh, to me, it's always <laughs> a mark of a good conversation. And uh, I must say like what a joy it's been to, to speak to you about all of this. I've truly enjoyed it. And I can't tell you how grateful I am for you taking some time and uh, joining the show today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. 
Well, for those interested in learning more about Janelle, of course, you can find her on LinkedIn. You can also find her on some of her other socials at Janelle Music. She's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And for reference, all this information will be included in the show notes. And if you like today's show, please be sure to tell a friend and share. That helps way more than you can know. You can also rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcasts. And lastly, I would definitely, definitely encourage you to head on over to YouTube. I did launch a channel in the last year over there. And I do have video highlight compilations of the talk. So you can take it in from that perspective. And if you're there, I would really, really, really appreciate if you hit the like or subscribe button. That is the only way that YouTube knows that that content matters. And yeah, you'll notice right away. I mean, that channel needs a bit of love. So yeah, hit subscribe, hit like, really would appreciate it. And finally, don't forget to join us on the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.